You're listening to the City Lights Church Podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. I remember as a, as a kid, as a teenager, and uh, even in middle school, I was, uh, I was wider than I was tall, uh, if you know what I mean. And um, I remember the way I would think about myself would kind of fluctuate. Um, and this is not like the sad Lifetime original movie story where we all share a tear over Jesse's childhood. I had a good childhood. But there would be words spoken over me from friends and classmates that I would literally like be home and crying about me being fat and frumpy. And then there'd be other words that would like motivate me and like, I'm like yeah, I'm a champion. Like I feel awesome. So depending on the day, what was spoken over me would determine how I feel. Make sense? So let me give you an example. Uh, I remember one time that this this man who knew my dad, he saw me, he's like, wow, look at your son, he must be a football player. And I went to a private school, we didn't have football. They're like, hey, did you work out? I'm like, no, I don't work out. I'm 14 years old, I don't work out. I'm just built like this, right? And so like, that kind of left me feeling like, yes, I'm built like a football player, which is like one of my dreams. There was a time in my life where my dream was to be a football player. And then I also remember this husband of a teacher in my private school, he was uh, actually one of the board members of the school, and he, would, he saw me one day, and in front of my classmates, he called me No Neck Miller, Strong as an Ox, which sounds encouraging, except for the fact that he said, I'm No Neck Miller. <laughs> and so that kind of started to go around school, No Neck Miller. I'm like, this is not cool. I can't, oh, No Neck Miller. I'm like, I have a neck, people. I have a neck. This literally went on for years. One of Ashley's family members was at my graduation, and this guy was chosen by the faculty to speak about me. At a private school, it's not like 300 of us who just shake hands. There was 13 of us, and we all had somebody share a story. And this guy chooses at my graduation to mention No Neck Miller. So now her family knows I'm No Neck Miller. And I have to point out my neck year after year to her family. There is a neck. It connects my head to my body. I can do this. Look at that, right? It's not much of one, but it's there, right? And so, like, the way things were spoken over me would determine how I would view myself. I'd be looking in the mirror. Do I have a neck? Not much of one, I guess, but there it is. I remember going with my mom shopping for clothes, right, as a kid. And there would be the boys' section. And in the boys' section, you have a section of pants called huskies, right? (laughs) And so I would get my pants from the Huskies section, and then I would have to take them to my grandmother to hem up the pants because they were too long for, for me. The, the width was right, but the length was wrong. I remember feeling so frustrated. I'm like, they should not call these pants Huskies. They should call these like warrior pants or like macho man Randy Savage pants. Something to make me feel better as a 12-year-old picking out from the Husky section, Right? When, when words are spoken, right, labels are put on us that kind of define how we view ourselves, right? And, and we all know that words really do matter, and, and they shape how we believe, but the, I want to I go deeper than that this morning. I, I would say not only do words matter, but they completely bring life or death, right? Words bring life or death. We see in John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God right? And then that word created. That word there in John chapter 1 we discover is Jesus. So the word word in Greek is logos. So the logos 
created. In the beginning was the word, the spoken word of God. But that word of God was Christ himself. Created all things. So in Christ, everything has been created out of the spoken word of God. And Christ is the manifestation of the thought, the heart of God. And out of that came everything that exists. Make sense? Tracking with me? In the beginning was the word. Jesus is the word. He's the spoken expression of the heart of the Father. And out of that one word came all life. We see in Genesis chapter 1, and God that was where you're supposed to fill in the blank. And God said, let there be light. And God said, and he spoke, and he keeps speaking and speaking, and everything he speaks comes into existence, right? Everything he spoke came into existence. If God said it, it happened. Then he gets to man. So God says, let there be this, let there be that, let there be. Then he says to himself, to the Trinity, let us make man right? He forms us. He doesn't just speak us. He forms us and breathes his essence, breathes his life, breathes the pneuma, his spirit into us, giving us life, okay? And then he does something. He says, I'm creating it in my image. And then when we're alive, when mankind is alive, he points at man, he's like, look at all these animals. I want you to name them. I want you to speak what they are. God created the animals, right? If you create something, do you let somebody else name it? No, you don't. We've been uh, playing a board game with, with Will and a few other guys. It's a very geeky board game, right? It's called a legacy game, which is a style of playing games. And in this, you literally, like, we're the only ones who are ever able to play it. Because once it's played, it's destroyed. We literally destroy parts of the games. But we also get to name things. We have little characters that we pick up. Like I buy this little guy and he's my character and I create a name for him, right? I take that very seriously for some reason. It's a board game. I don't want Will naming my guy. I don't want Jonathan naming my guy. Kenny, definitely not Kenny. He is not allowed to name my guy. I am naming my guy. But the father does not do that. The father speaks us, speaks the world into existence forms us, breathes his essence into us and says, now you partner with me in naming creation. You give it identity. You give the, whatever you want that thing to be, what do you want it to be? Giraffe, okay, it's a giraffe. That's what it is. You want that to be a mouse? All right, that's a mouse. He lets mankind partner in the creative expression of his heart. Make sense? From the very beginning. From the very beginning, that's what it was. In Luke chapter one, it's the story of, of Jesus. It's a story of the nativity, of him coming. And we see the angels talking to Mary. Go ahead and pull up Luke chapter 1, if you would, on the screen. Verse 34, we'll start there. If you don't have a Bible, the one in the pew in front of you is yours to keep. You could take that with you. We would like you to have that. Do we have verse 34? There we are. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? So we, we know the story, right? The angel comes and says, you're going to have a child. It's going to be Jesus. It's going to be God in you. And she's like, how is this possible? She doesn't, she doesn't deny that it will happen. She doesn't say, no, this won't happen. She simply asks, how will this happen? And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her you, uh, who has been called barren. So there's a woman who's been called barren, and she has a child. You're a virgin. You're about to have a child. For nothing will be impossible with God, right? We know that verse. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, we miss something in our translation. Almost every translation. Actually, I don't think there's one that points this out in English. When you look at the Greek, that sentence for nothing will, will be impossible with God actually translates for no thing that God has spoken, rhema is impossible. There's the spoken word. Every word that God says is happening, will happen. The words God declare have power in themselves. Make sense? We miss that. Nothing is impossible with God. It's not only nothing is impossible, but the things that God decrees will happen. That's what he's saying. It's not possible for it to not happen. Make sense? So the angel tells her, the words that God has said will happen. That's your answer. How will it happen? And this is her response. Let it be according to your rhema. The same word that the angel has just declared, she declares back. And she comes in alignment with the heart of God expressed. Make sense? She says, I'll take his rhema and let it happen in my heart. His rhema is true. His word for me is reality, even though I don't understand how I, a virgin, cannot have a child. He's going to give me a child. I don't understand this, but let it be. That's what it is. Make sense? See, God's word creates. God's word brings life. His spoken expression creates something out of nothing, right? Now, as I said, in Genesis chapter 1, we were created, what? In his image. And from the garden, he has asked us to partner in expressing and naming and declaring things. He asks us to name the animals. He, tell, he gives us dominion over his creation, right? He gives us rulership. He gives us leadership. He gives us co-creator abilities in creation. He says nothing will be impossible. Matthew chapter 17, this is Jesus speaking to them. And they're they're confused. The disciples are just confused why they couldn't cast out this demon. And he says to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. The angel tells tells Mary nothing is impossible with the spoken word of God. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, nothing is impossible when you declare when you tell the mountain to move. You need to know your faith. You need to know the level of faith. Do you believe, disciple, that you have the authority to cast out demons? Do you believe, disciple, that you have the power to speak words to bring life and change situations? Because even if it's a small bit of faith, you have the ability. That verse, I want to point out, does not say if we pray, pray really, really hard, and plead and beg with God for hours on hours, and then we fast and we cry out. Like, there's a part of that in this life. I get that. But there's a part when we have to come into an understanding God has given us the creative ability to partner with him and his desire on the earth, and then us to proclaim for mountains to move out of the way, for demons to be cast out, for people to be set free and delivered. Does that make sense? I feel like some of you guys just aren't excited about this, or you're, you're confused and you don't agree with me. That's okay if it's the last one. 
It's the first one. I don't know what's wrong. This is exciting. Nothing will be impossible for us. See, you you only proclaim what you know is true. Have you ever seen somebody start out in the streets proclaiming something as truth when he doesn't believe it? Like, you guys, um, back in the day, the, the little, uh, what are those, the newsboys, right? Not the band newsboys. Um, that, that's a whole other thing. But, like, the guys out on the street, extra, extra, read all about it, right? They're proclaiming that, hey, I have information of what is reality, what has already taken place, right? We, as ambassadors... Of, of the kingdom, get the responsibility of speaking things into existence even without seeing them. So we don't speak things that haven't happened. We speak and declare what we know is happening, what we know is true. You and I get to partner with heaven and proclaim a reality that we haven't seen, but we know confidently. Faith the size of a mustard seed. We speak to mountains, tell it to move. That's what we get to be a part of. We get to proclaim to mountains, get out of the way. I should have done that this weekend. I just thought of that now. I should have said, should have said Mount Marcy, come down a little bit. That would have been better. Uh, I didn't think of that until now. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, though. We get to partner with God's desire. We get to express it and proclaim it. Proverbs 18.1. Or 1820. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yields of his lip. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. For the last couple of weeks, this verse has been really heavy on my heart because I feel as Christian believers, we believe and we have faith in a God who can do anything, but we have very little faith in our ability to partner and proclaim and do anything ourselves. We have very little faith of our God-given ability to create with him. Because what we feel, what we're, let me, okay, this is not in my notes. This is off the heart. What we do as humanity, we remind ourselves of our sinful nature and tell ourselves we're not like God so we don't get to partner with him and we don't get to create with him. Does that sound familiar? Genesis. Did God really say that you'll die? They ate. Why? To be like God. They were already like him. The enemy says, if you take this, you'll be like God. They were already made in his image. They were already in that. And Christ came so that we would be restored to the image of God. That we would no longer have the flesh, the sinful identity. We would come alive in the new man Christ, right? It's restoring what God originally intended. That's for us to live as his image, as his co-creators on the earth. That's way more exciting than your faces tell me. The original design, like the whole plan is so that we could understand who we are in him and how we get to partner with him. If you don't believe that your words have life and death, that you really can proclaim truth and change over people, over cities, over regions, over your own self, then how can you really rule and reign with him? Make sense? Somebody who rules has to have authority. 
Your words have authority. Life and death is in your tongue. And, the, and Solomon recognizes that. Before, before the cross, he recognizes the power of the tongue. How much more should we who are hidden in Christ, who he has given us all authority, right? All authority has been given to him, and then he has given his disciples authority to cast out demons, to cleanse the sick, to proclaim the gospel. He says, greater works will you do, right? We, t- we like to make that some kind of thing like, well, what he really means is, you know, we'll preach the gospel really hard. Yes and no. He wants us to partner with who he is and see signs and wonders still today. He wants us to speak life and declare truth and to change worlds. James chapter 3 says this. I, I know I'm going all over a little bit this morning, but I want you to see a picture that I'm not just making something up this morning. I'm not taking one verse, but I'm taking the t- entirety of Scripture here to show you something. James chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond pr- uh, yield fresh water. James is reminding the church that our mouth should speak one type of word, one type of rhema, one type of logos, one type of truth. We can either speak blessings or we can speak cursings. We can't speak both. We're supposed to be springs of living water, right? So our mouths should produce blessings. Our mouths should produce life. They should give to those around us life. They should change the way this city is viewed. But so often the church is not just blessing. It's a lot more cursing and damnation than it is life and peace and grace. Make sense? James says this thing shouldn't be. Like We're one type of fruit here. We're one type of producer, and that should be the produce blessings over businesses, over families, over ourselves. Jesus said that I came to give life, that you might have life and have it more abundantly, right? Can he say that? So if we are to partner with him, we're to be his disciples, which means Christ-like, we should be living this life to produce and give life, right? Um, there's a part where Jesus is in his ministry and, and he's got a large crowd of followers, a lot of disciples at this point, And he says some words that really shocks everybody, right? He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't, you can't be a part of this. And at that point, all these people who had been following him, they were too shocked, too offended, and left, right? Why? Because, I mean, as a Jew, you, c- you couldn't touch anything that had blood in it. And you could only eat certain types of animals. Here Jesus is saying, you got to eat my, eat my flesh and my blood. They're like, what? That's weird. And they leave. He's speaking things that they don't understand. And he looks at them and he says, are you guys going to leave too? He looks at the disciples and says, are you guys going to leave? And Peter has this awesome response. And he doesn't even understand why. Peter's always confused. But he, a lot of times he does cool things anyway, even when he's confused. He says, Jesus, where are we going to go? Your words bring life. Your words bring life. 
Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. His flesh is still confused, but he knows inside of his spirit man that Jesus' words produce life that I can't find anybody else, anywhere else. Where am I going to go, Jesus? Where am I, back to the synagogues, back to the temples, back to my religion, back, back to that group over there. I, where am I going to go? Your words are the ones that give life. Man, I can't wait for the day that the people around us, our family members are offended at us, but yet still say, I'm going to follow you because your words produce life. Your words stir something in my spirit that I know is true, and there's life eternal in your words. I can't wait for that day when the church really becomes the voice of life across this nation. It's just me this morning who feels that way. It's a good time for an amen or a yes, I'm with you. So I, I like <laughs> I. I'm, I be, the reason I'm saying this is not because I'm like sad that it doesn't exist. I'm, hope, I'm hopeful and I'm proclaiming the day when it will. Make sense? I want you to partner with what I believe God has called us to. That's why I'm saying this this morning. Not to like make us feel condemned. Please, please hear my heart. There's no condemnation in this. There's, there's, I'm hoping to stir our spirits to something. Where can we go? Where can we go other than him? This morning, I want, to, I want to point out two types of words that we can speak and declare. The first one is, is we can begin to confess. Confession. We see in Scripture that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there are times when we have to confess what we believe, how we feel, what we think, what we believe, right? And sometimes that confession is ugly. Sometimes it's not life-giving. There's a verse that we see that says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? I would say that if your faith, the, confess, the things that you speak out of the heart, the mouth speaks, so the things that you believe, you say, if the things you say don't reflect the truth of God or bring life, then we need to begin to declare the word so that this cycle starts to change. Make sense? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we got to start declaring the word of God over ourselves so that out of the heart, the mouth speaks truth that we actually start to believe. You have to start to believe the things you say, and the things you say have to be based out of the Scripture. Begin declaring the Word over yourself, over your families. Can I say this one? Declare the Word of God over your enemies. And that's not like the disciples can we call fire down from them, and Jesus has to rebuke them. Remember that part. He rebuked them when when they wanted to do that. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. What would happen if we began to prophesy and declare and confess the way God sees our enemies over them? Then our hearts would start to believe something different about our enemies. Those who have hurt us, offended us, grieved us, whatever. We, have, we, we, are e- we make enemies easy, don't we? As a, as, as a society, we're always at war with some, somebody. If it's not a nation, it's a person. We're always fighting somebody. And what if we begin to declare God's reality over them? If we begin to confess what God sees, if we begin to confess the word on a regular basis over ourselves, our families, and our enemies, you'll begin to believe and see life rather than death. You'll begin to see and believe life rather than wickedness or corruption or brokenness. That person that you think is an idiot, right? You're just like, they're an idiot, they're a, la- they're a bum, they're whatever. How about you stop saying that? Begin prophesying over them. They're more than equipped, 
They're growing. They're maturing. God, you're wooing them. You're calling them. I don't see their brokenness. I see what you see. That's an ambassador. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. What if we could start looking at the foolish people and say, God, right there is somebody you want to use. That person who is completely against you, I see a missionary. I see a Paul instead of a Saul. That just kind of hit me. When Paul, when God changed his whole world, and he went from killing Christians to proclaiming the gospel, even some of the people, were like, the church people were like, wait, what? Is this, can I trust this guy? And the Holy Spirit had to start confirming, no, this guy's different now. We need to start doing that for our brothers and sisters. We need to start confirming amongst the body God's doing something in them. Stop believing about the old Paul, the old Saul. Start believing there's a new Paul coming for them. Let's start speaking that. Some of us can get that, but we have a hard time confessing our new identity in Christ for ourselves. I want this morning you to be encouraged that your identity is that you are hidden in Christ, you are deeply, deeply loved by him, and that you are called to rule and reign with him. That's what the word of God says. And I know right now some of you are like, that's a bunch of wishful thinking. It's not wishful thinking. It's called the cross and the resurrection. That's what it is. That's your identity. And you need to begin to proclaim that over yourself every day. Proclaim that as the truth of who you are. So I talk about confession a little bit, but part, uh, prophecy also runs with this. I know when we talk about prophecy, we, also, we often like to think of somebody coming up to us and reading our mail. Just like, you live on this street, and God's going to do this, and you, know, you want God to tell you your future. Like, it's that, that's true in some senses. But prophecy is also a lot more simpler than we make it out to be. Prophecy is simply speaking life into somebody, declaring truth to them that you don't see in the moment. It's partnering with God's creative heart for somebody. Recently, um, a couple months ago, my wife went to a conference, and the lady said something about words changing worlds. And that really hit her, and it's hit our house. Our words change worlds. His word created the world. And our words changed the world, right? And we started doing something with our family, with our girls. We created a word of the day thing. And so in the morning, we each would take a turn each different day, um, picking a word. And that would be the prophetic word of our day, the word that we declare over our day. When you have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, those words are often pretty simple. (laughs) They're not very deep. (laughs) We've heard loving kindness and obedient probably like 35 times in the last three months (laughs) so the words are pretty small but Ashley and I get to be a part of this as well so some days I create I I add new words in so we look for obedient we look for the day that's peaceful this is the day of joy this is the day of love this is the day of sacrifice this is whatever it is we just kind of we each get a turn naming our day does it make sense and we have seen over and over again We come back at the end of the day and we talk about that word with our kids. And we've seen literally that that word has been the the motto of the day. And we've seen God bring joy. We've seen God bring obedience. We've seen God bring helping and kindness. we, We begin to see with new eyes 
how our words change our world. Does that make sense? We see that with our friends. The girls come back and they, they look for ways to be kind at school and to see kindness in others. Are you guys tracking with me here? We want our kids to know that the, the, the way they believe about their day will define how they feel about their day. My, my, I've seen this so many times where my girls have a, an idea in their head of what they want, and then when that hasn't happened, their whole day is shot, and it's 9 a.m., right? How many of us live there, though, on a regular basis? You get in your car, you're ready for work, and you're singing your song, zippity-doo-dah, or whatever your song is, I don't know. Off to work do we go, something like that. And you, you go put your coffee on your car, you open the door, the coffee falls, it's all over your leg. This is the worst day of my life. And then guess what? That day's the worst day of your life. Like, your whole day, you're just miserable. You hate your coworkers, the, you hit every red light. You're like, you're like, this is awful. And it started out with a proclaimed word. It started out with a mindset. You, you partner with something. You either partner with heaven or you partner with hell over your day. I, I believe that. I don't see it. a few of you do. That's good. You partner with something every day, and your words are the biggest expression of what you partner with. I love that when I read the New Testament... And you have Paul, and he writes all these letters to churches, and some of these churches are messed up, right? But I love that Paul doesn't come out and start that letter or end that letter. Like, you guys stink. Worst church in church history, which has only been about 30 years. You're the worst. He doesn't. He says grace and peace to you. I thank God for you every time I think about you. He, he does that in all of his letters. He gives them some kind of exhortation. He speaks life to them while still bringing correction and truth and, and, and a way of thinking. Makes sense? He still proclaims the gospel, but he speaks and declares something over that church before and after he does anything else. What if we would do that with our family members today? When we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, instead of just telling God how much we're mad at them and how God needs to change them, what if we just start to declare over them his peace, his joy, his new mind. What if we begin to declare that over our own self? Father, renew my mind. I thank you for a new mind, that I'm not the old man, that I'm not dead, that I'm not alive in sin, but I'm alive in Christ, that I'm not walking according to the flesh, but I'm walking by the Spirit. What if we begin to say that and declare that every day? Your words have authority. We see that Jesus tells his disciples, he te- that we, we see that the body of Christ has the authority to bind or to loose on earth and in heaven. We have the authority to speak and to change. He has given us authority. So let me give you an example of how words shape worlds. Because I, I know there's, there's a very supernatural part of this where we speak to mountains and it moves. And then there's the very, very natural. And like, even the world knows this. Even those who are unbelievers know these things because they're in humanity. How, how words shape people. So I was 18 years old, wanting to be a filmmaker, but knowing that's not what God called me to do, right? And I was at church sitting in the middle on like this side of the stage and a guest speaker was there. And some of you have heard the story before. And the 
the preacher's preaching, and he's just given a message. I don't even remember what it was. He's preaching, and he stops, and he looks at me, and he points to me, and he says, you, who your hero is, that's who you're supposed to be. Now, at this moment, I'm not in college when all my friends are because I was confused and I didn't know and I felt God was saying, don't go to, to, not to go to Iowa college, don't go to film school, something's wrong here. I was wrestling and he stops and he looks at me and he prophesies. He speaks just that simple sentence, who your hero is, that's who you're supposed to be. Now, my hero to him could have been Superman. Like it could have been anybody, right? It could have been the president. It could have been any, a, a football player. My hero, though, instantly I knew my hero was my youth pastor who wasn't even a pastor at that church. It's a different church. So this guy doesn't know who I am and doesn't know who my hero is. But he spoke those words and instantly my heart came alive and I knew that is who I'm supposed to be. So I call Ashley because she wasn't there. We were, we were dating at the time. I call her and I'm all excited. I'm telling her about this. Because now it not just become an idea or a thought that I was avoiding, it became a reality of God's plan for me. So I went to school, and my, my youth pastor at the time, he confirmed every dream in my heart as well. He poured into me. He spoke words of encouragement to me. He financially helped me get some of the things that I needed to pursue dreams. Make sense? Their words changed my entire life. And that man doesn't know it today. This morning, I want to encourage you that prophecy is very simple. It's simply being led by the Spirit and speaking life to people and not cursing. So that family member, that co-worker, that guy on the road who cuts you off, don't call him an idiot. Don't speak curses over him. Don't speak destruction over that person that makes you mad. Don't look in the mirror and, and speak husky, chubby, Broken, wasteful, slothful, prideful. Don't look at yourself in the mirror and begin to declare the old man. Begin to declare the man that God sees in you. Or woman. We have a lot of women here. Do that every day. Your words will shape your world and they'll shape the world of those around you. If you have children, don't say, oh man, you're really frustrating me today. Don't, don't speak frustration. Don't speak Rejection. Don't speak negativity over your kids. Speak life. Tell them what they're called to. Don't tell them what they failed at. Does that make sense? Too many of us already know our failings and our shortcomings. What we need to know is what God sees us going to. As Martin said about this hike this week, So it's Thursday night, it's time for bed. The hike, the 14-mile hike, 5,344 feet up is the next morning. We're getting up early, and Martin's ready to drive us all up there, right? I go to, we all go to bed at 10 o'clock. I fell asleep at about 3.30 a.m. For a lot of reasons, we won't get into those right now. There was some noise. And some other things, and anxieties, and all these things. And I'm laying there in bed saying, I can't hike this tomorrow. How can I do 14 miles, climb that high, and I haven't slept? And I'm like, well, 
I'm going to sit outside tomorrow while they hike, and I'm going to read a book and take a nap. That's literally what I'm, I'm already preparing my speech with Martin. And thankfully, I, I sat in my bed, and I pulled up my phone. I was reading Scripture a little bit, and I, I started to strengthen my heart, and I fell asleep finally. Alarm goes off, like 6 a.m. I go upstairs to the, the, the big bathroom, and Martin walks in, and he's like, you ready? He's like, oh, excited. And I'm like, I slept two hours, three hours, Martin. He's like, me too. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, I didn't sleep either. I'm like, oh, I probably, I don't know if I can do this. He's like, did you sleep the night before? I'm like, yeah. He's like, then you're fine. You'll do it fine. He's like, he's like studies have shown if you run a marathon, most marathon runners don't sleep the night before, and they're okay. As long as you slept the night before, you can get through it fine. You don't need last night's sleep. I'm like, I don't need last night's sleep. Let's do this. And there's moments of that hike where I thought, I can't do this. And I had to remind myself, no, I can do this. I physically can do this. I can get up there. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and it's freezing up here. So I pull out my windbreaker, which is soaked, and I have no hat. And there's one point where they're ahead of me a little bit, and it's all rock. And I'm literally like on my hands and knees because I don't want to fall off the rock and die. And I thought to myself, like, I don't want to be here, but this is awesome. Like, I felt like Bear grills for a minute, you know? Like, wind is, and sleet is pummeling my face, and I'm climbing up the side of a mountain. This is ridiculous. But I knew in my mind that I can do this. I can do this. Martin got rid of my fears that three hours of sleep wasn't enough. He may have been lying to me. I have no idea if that's an actual fact or not. It's just a pep talk he gives everybody, maybe. But those words changed the way I viewed my day. Like, I had already decided it was going to be a failed day, and then he changed the way I thought. Make sense? This morning, I hope that we can buy this as a church. I hope that we realize that from the very beginning, from the very beginning of creation, God gave man the privilege and the right and the honor to co-create with our spoken words. You have that privilege. You have that right. So use it. This is not just wishful thinking. This is not positive affirmation. This is spiritual DNA. Our identity in Christ, made in the image of the Father, made in the image of the Son, made in the image of the Holy Spirit, us proclaiming to the earth what he sees and a reality that will happen. It's the rainbow word of God. Nothing is impossible if the word of God says it. Make sense? Let's stand. Let's worship. This morning there's a line in this song. We sing, good, good father. And this morning, the reason I want us to sing this song again is because not only does it declare who he is, but it says, and I'm loved by you. That's your identity this morning. So if you can't buy the love for somebody else that God sees, you need to start by beginning by believing the love that he has for you. If you know that your identity is beloved by him, That'll change everything of how you see yourself. Make sense? We all good? Let's sing that and declare it. This is not just wishful thinking. This is not just Sunday morning hymnal time. This is coming and proclaiming what God says about us and who he is. Let's proclaim this song together. <laughs>